Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz. My guest today is Michael Port, a repeat guest, longtime friend, author, speaker, small business marketing consultant. Uh, you may know his book, Book Yourself Solid. Uh, but we're going to talk today about his newest book, and I've got it around here somewhere, doggone it, and I can't put my hands on it right now. Steal the Show, How to Guarantee a Standing Ovation for All the Performances in Your Life. So, Michael, thanks for joining me. You're very welcome. How was that intro? Was that incredible? You're, you're amazing. You yeah. never cease to amaze me. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel, you're you're I, charming, intelligent, handsome. It, you're just, you've got it all. You've I feel, feel a little under the microscope, you know, because, you know, you teach people how to, how to do these rocking intros. So, you know, I feel a little extra pressure. Well, you, you think you're under the microscope. Think about me. Yeah, no Anytime kidding. someone comes out to teach performance in public speaking, yeah. everybody sits back and go, all yeah. right. Let me see what you got. Yeah, that's why I never, ever write an article about using proper grammar. Because <laughs> those grammar people, man, they oh, they're, are, they're ruthless. Oh, they, they will kill you. They will. So one um or ah uh, or, exactly. you know, weak story from me. People are like, oh, that's it. I'm yeah. done with them. So you also can find information at stealtheshow.com. And you started, right. you started a podcast, right? I did. Yeah, we dropped it yesterday and uh, it's doing really well. We're, you know, on the top of the charts and we've got 6,000 downloads uh, today. So it's pretty cool. I like it. So many people probably know you in this life, uh, your life as a business uh, consultant and yeah. author. Uh, probably not everybody knows about your background in the theater. So you want to want to give us a snapshot of that? Sure. I have a master's in acting from the graduate acting program at NYU, and that's what I thought I'd spend my life doing. And when I got out of grad school, I did work. I had a modicum of success. I was on shows like Sex and the City, Third Watch, All My Children, Law and Order, 100 Center Street, which was directed by Sidney Lumet, which was pretty cool. And I did films like The Pelican Brief, Down to Earth, The Believer, Last Call, and I did a lot of voiceovers. Voiceovers, that was my bread and butter. I did voice voiceovers for brands like AT&T, Coors Beer, MTV, the Box Music Network, which was all music all the time. <laughs> uh, Braun Shavers. Literally, I would sit in a booth all day long and say, Braun, smart thinking. By the way, they should be paying you for that <laughs> as a sponsor of your yeah, show. So yeah. that that's what I did. And I worked for about five years and I had a hard time with that business. You know, you have to do a lot of waiting around waiting for other people to give you work. And it just didn't really fit my personality at the time. So I talked my way into a job in the fitness industry for which I was completely unqualified. I told them I was unqualified, but I convinced them that they should give me a shot and they did. And I spent about five years in that industry. And then I went out on my own and started doing, you know, what, uh, what we have been doing for the last 15 years or so. But over the last three years, I have gone back to my roots and started a company called Heroic Public Speaking. And we teach performance and public speaking to all kinds of people in all walks of life. And I wrote Steal the Show, not just for people who want to speak publicly, but I wrote it because I think that performance plays such a big part in all aspects of your life. A job interview, that's a performance. Negotiations a performance, a sales meetings a performance. Even meeting your future in-laws for the first time is a kind of performance. Now, hopefully they're all authentic performances. That's the key. But nonetheless, the quality of your life is in large part determined by how well you perform during life's high-stakes situations. 
And so I think that the techniques that an actor knows and the principles that a performer adheres to can help all of us do a much better job when the spotlight is on us. And I I think there's a lot of talk these days, and maybe it's just the circle that I kind of find myself in a little bit. A lot of people want to be these highly paid speakers. There are books and books out now about, you know, how to get a TED talk. And Mm -hmm. um, is that, in your estimation, is, is that sort of the new form of, you know, celebrity of some, of some, you know, what's, what's the real appeal there? Because I, I think that, I think at least in reading through your book, you know, certainly you have information for that person, but I, I think your main point is that there are ways to be highly paid, other ways to be highly paid by, by, by performing. Yeah. Yeah, no, of course. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I broke the book down into really two different parts, the, the mindset of a performer and the principles uh, of a performer, and then the masterclass on public speaking technique. And if you want to speak regularly, you know, that masterclass is very helpful. And if you're new, the masterclass is helpful as well. But the idea of being a professional speaker is something that uh, is interesting only to a small group, a small slice of society, and maybe the misfits, maybe the outcasts, <laughs> you know, the fringe. But there's something, I think, appealing to a lot of people about that because. The idea is you get a lot of approval when you do it. And I think that sometimes we perform for approval rather than results. And that's not the case for everyone, of course. But that's what I've seen. I've seen a lot of drive for approval. And anytime we fight for approval rather than results, you know, we tend to water ourselves down or we, we start to play a role that we think other people want us to play and that's going to make us appealing or, or maybe and, it's actually more pressure too i know when i first started there was a little bit more of that uh in me that i will readily admit i was yeah. i wanted people to like me i wanted people to think i was smart there's yeah. actually more pressure in doing that than showing up and saying what am i here to give that's right yeah no i look i i i'm i'm put it on the table here i most people don't become actors because they don't want approval. Right. Let's just let's just start there. So I, I am you know fully uh, fully versed in the need for approval. Um, but yeah, it does put a lot of pressure on you. And I had a, one of our colleagues called me once because she had an interview uh, based on one of her books for one of those big morning uh, TV programs on the network. Mm-hmm. And she said, "Listen, I'm really freaking out. It's my biggest thing I've ever had. I, I really want to be good. What should I do?" <laughs> I said, "Well, you can't be good. It's just not possible." And I, th- I think she fell off her chair. Right. I said, no, it's not you. It's just that you can't go into any kind of performance situation trying to be good. You can just be helpful. That's all you can do. That, that's, that's your job is to, have, uh, to make a par- promise to the audience, to the listener, to whoever's paying attention, and deliver on that promise. And when you make it about you, when you make it about you being good, then you take the focus off the audience and the delivery of your promise and you put it on you. It's also one of the reasons that people get so nervous. People often ask, well, what's the, what's the, how do I reduce anxiety? You know, I have really a lot of stage fright. I get nervous before I speak. And, you know, it's completely normal uh, to feel nervous. I, I feel nervous often before I speak because I want to do a good job. But there's a difference between feeling nervous and using that to perform well and feeling nervous to sabotage yourself by focusing on yourself, meaning being self-absorbed is what creates more anxiety. 
because you start to get in your own head more and more. And then the voices of judgment get louder and louder and louder. But when you focus on the audience, you start worrying about yourself so much. You start worrying about how you look in the pants that you're wearing. Yeah. You know, you start, you start worrying about your hair. You start worrying, am I sweating, you know, in my armpits? All those things start to go away because the audience ultimately doesn't really care about that stuff unless they look worried about you. Then they, then they care. They don't want to worry you're going to hurt yourself or that you're going to have a heart attack. They don't want to worry about that. But ultimately, they don't care about the other stuff. They just care about you being able to deliver on the promise that you've made to them. That's it. Yeah, and that probably takes uh, probably experience is is as good a teacher as anything. I mean, it takes a, enough times of going out there and saying, "Well, nobody died." Yeah, uh, exactly you, right, including me. Well, um, that's that's the other thing, John. <laughs> that's the that's the other thing that is so sometimes frustrating to people when I, I give them the answer that is the big answer for reducing anxiety before you speak. It's it's being prepared, actually yeah, knowing yeah, what okay. you're doing. You're much less nervous if you know what you're doing, but if you're not well prepared, it's going to be a lot more anxiety provoking because you feel like a deer in the headlights up there because you're just sort of floundering around. Yeah, and I want to get to that because you, I want to, I want people to hear your take on rehearsal. But, but, uh, but let me uh, let me cover a couple other ideas first. Sure, sure. I've seen you work uh, with individuals, that, and and one of the things that I think is really foundational to the work that you do is. You don't tell people, here's how to be a speaker. You know, mm -hmm. here's how to look like that person that you think is a good speaker. I mean, you really do, I think, a great job at saying, you know, here's how to take who you are and who you're being and what you're about and make that drive being a good speaker. And I, I wonder if you could touch on that a little bit. Yeah, that's the goal. So I believe that I've created a methodology for non-actors to use to perform in various situations and especially on the stage, but there's no style around it. So many people who are listening have probably seen speakers that I've worked with and they'd have no idea that I worked with them. And that's the goal. I have a very particular style. My style is just my style. You have a particular style and that's your style. And the, the, the more that we amplify our own particular style so that we are more authentic, the more compelling we'll be to an audience. We can't play another character when we are the speaker. This is not acting in that way. We're not pretending to be uh, someone else and then living through that experience. The goal is to amplify your personality and amplify your style not to play at someone else or to try to be like someone else. That's very difficult. And you're not an actor. That's important. You're not trying to play some other character. And I believe in the individual. I love the individual. I see the individual. And when I'm working with people individually, it's easy to help them be more self-expressed. Because most people want to be self-expressed. You know, one of the things I've seen you do, and maybe this comes under the category of amplifying, because you know there are a lot of people that say, "Okay, yeah, I just want to be authentically me," and I'm, you know, oh, shucks, I'm just kind of a Midwestern guy, and I just, you know, I don't have a very big message. I just like to say it like it is. And, and I've seen you take some of those people and 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 push them to be bigger. And some of that is performance, but I think also some of that is maybe expressing or amplifying who they really are. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes we get an idea of who we think we should be. And sometimes, you know, we add these layers of persona uh, around us or on top of us that protect us. This, this you mentioned, is, I like the way you put it. You put it, you know, well, gosh, shucks, I'm just this way and I just tell it like it is. And, and I think that what we do sometimes, and this is not just in public speaking, but this is in all aspects of life. Sometimes we constrain ourselves by seeing ourselves as, as somebody who only has one style of behavior or one way of being. We are, we're so rigidly constrained by our idea of being true to self that we shut ourselves off or we close ourselves off from all the different styles of behavior that we can adopt. And if we think about our life, we probably act differently now than we did when we were 20. Mm-hmm. And you were still you when you were 20. You just expressed yourself differently. So we can express ourselves in many different ways at any point in our life. We're not stuck. And sometimes working harder to serve the audience brings you out of your shell. It, it strips away some of the layers uh, of persona that you may use to protect yourself. You're, you're driving forward toward the goal of being in service of that audience. And you do everything in your, in your power, everything you can to reach them. Sometimes you break out of that shell. I want to dive into the power performance uh, principles, and obviously that's an entire you know middle chunk of the book, um, and all of them have very you know compelling, catchy <laughs> uh, names to them. But uh, one I'd love to focus on, um, and I've heard you talk about this, and I and and I'm not I'm not sure this is completely original. I think this actually comes with um, this is just some some psychology, human psychology, but this idea of yes and mm-hmm. yeah. So the the concept of yes and is an improvisational foundational technique. So when you're doing any kind of improvisational performance with others, you can't say no. Because when you say no, it just stops the action dead in its tracks. And action is what acting is in large part about. You're moving the story forward. And public speaking is about moving the story forward. So let's say, John, you and I are doing an improv scene. And, and I walk in and say, oh my God, I broke my leg, my leg, I'm in so much pain. And you say, no, you're fine. You didn't break your leg. Okay. End of the scene. End of the scene. (laughs) And scene. So that doesn't really uh, help us move forward. Now, we could probably recover from it, but it doesn't help us move forward. Now, if I came in and said, oh my God, I'm in so much pain, I just broke my leg. And you said, yeah, but, yeah, but your hair. I love what you did with your hair, you know, and they said, I know I was at the hairstylist and they were shaving my head and it was such an extraordinary sensation that I fell off the chair, I broke my leg, et cetera, et cetera. So you've right. got somewhere to go. Yeah. You're, you're saying yes and, and let's look at this in the workplace. You know, you have employees, you've been working with people for many, many years. Do you like working with the devil's advocate? (laughs) The person who loves to poke holes and everything and says, listen, I'm just going to be the devil's advocate here. Can I give you some constructive criticism? When I hear devil's advocate and constructive criticism, I know uh, I'm ready. I got to get, I'm bracing myself for somebody's agenda 
uh, coming at me very, yeah. very or, uh, strongly. Or my favorite is, I don't really want to say anything negative, but. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. So, you know, we don't really want the devil in the room. Now, we love when people find opportunities to improve something we're working on. They may see uh, something that's missing. They see a hole, but they say, I have an idea of how we can plug that. That's very different than the, than the yeah. devil's advocate. So what we're doing is we're using this yes and technique and we're applying it to the work that we do so that we are in a much more creative, much more open uh, process and we get rid of the butts and we get rid of the nose. We can say that we're not going to do something without shutting it down. So we can, we're in a much, much more positive state to be in. And then, of course, the same thing is true when you're on the stage. If you're doing Q&A, Mm-hmm. And you tell, which is improv, by the way, which is improv. <laughs> it's it's what I would call um, unstable theater. It's yeah. improv, but you but you use bits, yeah. and I want to address that in a minute because I think it'll be helpful for folks. But you know, I, I once uh, saw a very well known speaker. You know who he is. I, he shall na- remain nameless. Uh, but he was taking questions from the audience. And it was a very big crowd, and there was a big line of people waiting to take que- to uh, ask him questions. And somebody said, "Listen, I want to know how. I really want to work on my networking, and how do I meet the relevant people, you know, at the event, so I can, you know, uh, work on my networking." And this guy, this speaker, shut him down. It was that's ridiculous. Everybody here is relevant. I mean, you don't know. You could be at the bar, and you could meet somebody who knows me. <laughs> So I was like, oh, well, there is a contradiction there. <laughs> who, who happens to be the relevant person here, right? Yeah, right, exactly. But, <laughs> but even outside of that, he, you know, th- this person who asked the question felt really stupid. Yeah. And I saw people getting out of line oh. to go sit down because okay. they too were nervous that they would be ridiculed yeah. if they asked a question that the speaker didn't like. Now, maybe the speaker was in a bad mood. Maybe that's his style. You know, but it, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable behaving that way because you can, someone will ask you a question and even if you have a different way of looking at it, you can simply present your way of looking at it in a way that supports the person who's asking the question. So you can say, so, so yeah, I really hear how important it is for you to do your networking. It is such an important part of our development. So what if we think about everybody as relevant? Yeah. You know, and then boom, you've got, you know, you've, you're, you're, you're making this person feel valuable, honored, and you're answering his question. You're also serving the, the rest of the audience as well. Now, Q&A is very interesting because Q&A is um, improvisational. However, just like street theater, Q&A works well when you have bits that answer the typical questions you get. So, so stable theater and unstable theater are different. So stable theater are plays, musicals, um, experiences that have scripts and you say the same lines each night. There'll be slight differences here or there, of course, because it's a live experience, but for the most part, it's very stable. Unstable theater is improv or street theater. Now, street theater is interesting because street theater is made up of a series of bits. There's the juggling bit, there's the fire blowing bit, there's the spinning plates bit, there's the etc. And the street performer changes his routine. He reorganizes those bits according to the space that he's in, how many people are there, the demographic of the people, what props he has or doesn't have, etc. And the <laughs> how, same thing. How windy it is. Yeah, how, exactly how windy <laughs> it is. <laughs> what, what the fire marshal allows in that space. 
So I imagine, uh, John, that you have a series of bits, and I don't mean comedic bits, yeah, yeah. but series of, of, of bits that you pull out when people ask you particular questions. So for example, if I said, John, why do I need a target market? I imagine that there's something that you say that you've said many, many times in the same way to answer that question. Yeah, and I, I, I certainly do, and I do that in Q&A, but I, but I also find it very useful um, in media interviews. So, so Michael, I saved this last um, bit um, really to the last <laughs> because I didn't want people deleting um, based on uh, the answer that I know you're going to give me. But uh, <laughs> tell us uh, about your thinking on rehearsal. I know a lot of public speakers, they do their slides, maybe they go over it a time or two, and then they get out there on the stage. You have a decidedly different view, don't you? I do. I think that, I think that we owe the audience a lot of respect. And I think that rehearsing for our performances is a way of demonstrating that respect. The audience can tell when you're prepared and they can tell when you're not. And a lot of people who consider themselves natural performers, they often say they don't feel comfortable rehearsing because it makes them stiff. And I think that's accurate. I think that's right on. And it's in part because they've tried to rehearse before, but they've only done a little bit of rehearsal. And as a result, what happens is when they're performing, they're trying to recall what they did in rehearsal. And as a result, aren't in the moment for that performance and get stiff and feel off. The rehearsal that works is the amount, is the kind of rehearsal that you do over time so that the material is cold. Your movement is well blocked. You know exactly what you're going to do. You don't have to look at your slides to know where you are in the presentation. Now, if you have 60 slides, 70 slides, if you have a very technical type of presentation, that's different. Perfectly fine. Go ahead, look at the slides. But, but for the most part, you could do, well, not for the most part, but for the entire part, you could do a presentation without any of those slides. And that's, that's the measure that I often use. That's the metric. Are you able to give the speech without the slides? If you are, then you know it well enough. And if you can't give it without the slides, then I think more rehearsal may be in order. And it's also one of the ways to reduce anxiety is to really be well prepared and then you are not as nervous. You know, it's interesting, especially on the professional level, a lot of the folks who speak write books and it may take them a year, year and a half to write a book, but they put a presentation together the night before. (laughs) And I always, I'm always wondering what's the difference? Like why is a presentation less significant than a book? In part because it's gone afterwards. You, You know, it's done. It's like, okay, I did it. It's done. It didn't work great, but it's done. And yeah. you can move on. But yeah. the book, if yeah. you do the book really badly, it's there. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. yeah, and I wonder how many people, you know, we're talking about the context of somebody who's going to get up and do a speech in front of a bunch of people. And so they're naturally going to rehearse. I wonder how many people would benefit from rehearsing that presentation to the, you know, three board members. I think they would. You know, the, the, the length of rehearsal required for a presentation is generally related to the length of the presentation. Mm-hmm. You usually need more rehearsal for something that's longer. But we do not rise to the occasion. 
we fall back on our preparation. And often we think we'll rise to the occasion. We think, oh, it'll come to me when I'm giving the speech. The content will be there. Uh, I'll be on my feet and I'll have the answers, etc. It's a lot easier to improvise if we're well prepared. So there isn't a, a, there's no conflict between improvisation and preparation. Improvisation is so much easier when you're well prepared. So if you're going for a job interview, how many mock interviews did you do before you went in for that interview? Or is that the first time you're sitting down trying to make your case for why they should choose you? For the negotiation, how many mock negotiations did you sit down with based on that exact uh, the exact scenario that you're going to be going into, the kind of people you're going into. It's just like when the politicians debate, they do debate prep. Right. And they, I'm sure they want a lot more than they get based on their schedules, but they still try to get in as much as they can. So that kind of preparation makes a significant difference. So th- if you're giving a presentation for the first time to an audience that expects a lot, it's, it's hard to make that the first time you've ever given it. It's generally not going to be as effective the first time as it would be the fifth time. So your rehearsal is the time period where you get to work out the kinks. Yeah, and I just, you know, again, that's, isn't that the difference? I mean, that's shooting the free throws. That's the whatever analogy you want to use. I mean, that's the difference between the high performer. And that's, that's, you know, that's really the, in, in many ways, the, 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 Probably the point of the book in general is that you can have all you can learn these techniques and you can learn these principles and you can have a great you know narrative arc to your story, but in the end, um, it, how polished that comes out will be dictated by how how much work you put in. That's exactly right. You know there are so many there are there are not so many lullabies. Most mothers and fathers sing the same lullaby to their children that the neighbor is singing to their children. But the baby doesn't really care so much about the lullaby. They, 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 they care about the voice. They care about the way the mother sings it. That's what they relate to. That's what they respond to. And so when you're giving your speech, if you, if you just fall back on the fact that you know a lot about that particular subject matter but haven't worked on how you're, perse- how you're performing it, how you're presenting it, then you miss an opportunity for connection because just knowing a lot about a topic uh, doesn't necessarily make for a great speech. Talking with Michael Port, author of Steal the Show, How to Guarantee a Standing Ovation for All of the Performances in Your Life. You can find more at stealtheshow.com. Um, and obviously the book uh, will be available at everywhere that people buy books. So, Michael, thanks for joining me. Is there anything you want anything you want to share in terms of what people might find at stealtheshow.com that we haven't talked about? Yeah, we're giving away the farm. Yeah. Everything. You want you want to steal all of our stuff, go to stealtheshow.com because when you do a book launch, you need to incentivize people to buy books early in the process so the book jumps up on the ranking. So, we're giving away free e-course uh, not e-courses, um online courses, significant really quite large courses, tickets to live events, uh, templates, toolkits, all sorts of things that you would want. And you buy a book or you buy a couple books and you get a lot of those bonuses. So go check those out. You'll enjoy them. And if you're not doing anything December 13th uh, in New York City, uh, there's a really big bonus. There, There is December 13th in New York or October 3rd in L.A. If you're interested in coming to a masterclass for just a couple bucks, 
come uh, check out stealtheshow.com and you'll see what I'm talking about. Awesome, Mike Paul. Always great to catch up with you and hopefully we will we'll see you out there on the road sooner than later. You're the best. Thanks, John. <laughs>